0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: To a Celtic state of mind. It's 12.38. This is an impromptu bulletin. I'm Paul John Dykes and I'm delighted once again to be joined by Alan Morrison. Welcome back to the show, Alan. How are you doing? I'm very
2: well, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the, the festival of football.
1: No, I know. It's one of these things for me where one of the refreshing parts of that is seeing fans back at, at the games, obviously. Uh, but we'll probably start, with the game yesterday, because we did, Colin and I did a, a wee preview, and this is a very, very much an impromptu bulletin. We go five days during the week, and we'll drop a wee extra one either on a Saturday or Sunday. But because it's Father's Day tomorrow, we'll go, we'll go out just now. Um, and Colin and I did a football insomniac preview of the, the England Scotland game. And although during that preview I felt that England had a lot of quality that we might struggle with, uh, I did predict a 0-0, zero, zero. Colin predicted a 1-1 one, one. Uh, and at that time we didn't know what the team the team line was uh, we didn't know that, that Billy Gilmer was going to start the game and of course he was pivotal to that performance last night what was your thoughts um, generally about the performance and what do you think Ange Postacoglu thought of Callum McGregor's performance last night?
2: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, before the game, um, so I think somebody on Twitter wrote, you know, what 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 have we got that's uh, we can cling on to as hope from as Scotland fans? And I actually put, you know, we, we squeak a draw and then beat Croatia, and that was really. I and mean, where I was coming from on that was both both coaches are essentially defensive coaches. Southgate's a defensive coach. Clark is clearly a defensive coach, and I just hoped what I hoped was that Southgate would be over cautious given the resources that he has at his disposal. And actually, Clark, uh, you know, this is a game where he he steps up to the mark as a coach. He loves these situations as being the underdog, Mm -hmm. working out a problem where the other team are, are overstocked with attacking resources compared to his and how he sets his team up. So I think you know, Clark played it excellent. You know I, I was a wee bit surprised that Gilmore came in. He's a young kid. He's not. A, he's not. A, he's not a big lad. And uh, you know to be put into that pivotal central midfield role was it was a gamble. He stuck with O'Donnell and fair play to him. He's never let him down. You know so he made And, and, and then he, you know he put Adams in. And uh, I, you know I thought he would keep the the energy of Christie uh, to be honest, but he didn't. Uh, and, and England uh, you know Southgate kept his two pivots in central <laughs> midfield. Of Rice and and uh, Phillips. And Phillips had done very well in linking up with the forwards in the game against Croatia. But essentially, it, it was quite a defensive, uh, you know, formation, really. And uh, and they and they su- surprised with the lack of intensity of their play, the lack of pace they put into the game. Yeah. But, but but the one thing i was really pleased about scotland was they maintained a high line or not a high line a sort of mid a mid block i suppose you'd call it but they didn't drop what i'm saying is they didn't drop back too deep the, the risk was that as england introduced more pace into the game with rashford and and uh, that the world's greatest player came on in the second half uh, that that they would um, you know that they would the, the pace and england scotland started to drop back and back and back but they never did and that's partly because that central midfield was never uh, never overrun so that pressure Never got too great, actually. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, before the game, um, I, I've been very impressed, like most people, with, with Calvin Phillips. And I thought that he would be pivotal in orchestrating the pace of the game. I felt that Gilmore was that player last night. He was the guy that was orchestrating the, the pace. And uh, after the, the game, obviously having a wee bit of two and throw with people on Twitter, I made the point that uh, for the price of Dykes and um, and Nisbet, you know, we got bio. And at no point was I saying we should have signed the player. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think someone like, um, rightly or wrongly, I don't think Nisbet would have been anywhere on our radar whilst he was at East End Park in Dunfermline, Alan. uh, And I say rightly or wrongly because we've picked up players previously from the Pars and they've done very, very well for us in different different times. I I get that. Um, But, you know, for, I think it was 300 grand, he's gone to Hibs. They've knocked back an offer. In January, they from Sunderland, I believe. They're probably going to be uh, interested parties this summer. But the point remained, um, you know, although they do kind of divide opinion, some of these players probably would have done... Uh, a fairly good job for Celtic but you know it was all about me getting number 9 dykes on the back of Celtic jersey for my wee boy so um, people (laughs) don't see the tongue firmly in cheek on Twitter from time to time Um, you know uh, but uh, another thing Carlin McGregor he comes in uh, and we've seen the pictures of Don MacKay and Ange Postacoglu at the game and the big question I've been asking, you know, over the last few weeks is who's going to captain this side? Scott Brown. Uh, again, it was interesting to see him doing the punditry. I thought he was very good, actually, because, you know, it he, was was, it, wasn't he? he was loving <laughs> it, yeah, he was loving it uh, alongside Gary Neville. Yeah, and it's always it's strange to see Bruni. <laughs> we, we are with the hair. It just doesn't mm, yeah, yeah. look right. Um, but obviously, he's left the building. I can't quite get used to him in an Aberdeen jersey. But the big question is, who's going to take the captain's armband? We know that the vice-captain's McGregor. He's one of these players, Alan, who leads by example, isn't he? And I think, you know, if that's the first time Poster Coglu has seen him in the flesh, and I believe it is, he would have been impressed last night, wouldn't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, what astonished me when I reflected back on the game and I was watching the ITV uh, coverage uh, um, was that the, I don't recall the commentators mentioning McGregor's name once. I mean, you know, Gilmore is now slotted behind Grealish as the second greatest player in the world, uh, but and, and he and he was great. The wee lad was absolutely terrific. But but I, think, I I'm, I'm I'm I've not got I've got um, a site that I use that's that will give me some of the match data, and I'm I'm really looking forward to tomorrow on Twitter comparing gilmore and mcgregor not because i'm wanting to say one is better than the other i just think that probably mcgregor was equally as effective as gilmore mm-hmm. uh, but, but in a much more understated way and what was fascinating for me about Callum mcgregor's performance was just the role that he was asked to play so a couple of things that you know w- around that whole midfield setup would be you know I, I, I having a debate with Juco james on on twitter about you know john mcginn now i think i've said to you before in the time that I've been doing Celtic by numbers, one of the things I wanted to do was look at players in the SPFL that I think, oh, you know, they, they look like they could be Celtic type mm. of players mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. quality, uh, and do and do a bit of a scouting d- deep dive into them. And in in five six years, I've only done that on one player, and that was John McGinn. And I I would have signed John McGinn to replace Scott Brown mm-hmm. as a as a deeper line player. And if you look at John McGinn's um, data in terms of his S- his, his English. Premier League, because he plays a little bit further forward for Aston Villa, um, he's, he's not actually that creative. His, his scoring output, his expected goals, is not actually that high. I, I do think, although he's got some great attributes to play in a forward area, I mean, it's, it's, he's got the best strong arse that we've seen in a Scottish player since Kenny Dalglish. So <laughs> it's
1: just Ken Kenny,
2: yeah. Absolutely fantastic. You know His ability to shield the ball and turn in, in advanced prick. Place he's under a under high pressure i do think he's actually better suited to that deeper role but he scored nine goals for scotland so you know who am I to argue with steve clark but what that meant was that you've got then got mcgregor playing that more deeper pivot role with we with we gilmore now we we've talked about celtic obviously over the last couple of years the the fact that one of the collateral damages of playing an increasingly immobile scott brown has been that mcgregor has had to kind of change his game and, and, and you can see him in, in many games hearing around the, the edge of the box in front of the centre-backs trying, trying to snuff out fires and that's just not his game but you put him in a structure that's organised you put him in front of three big centre-halves and um, he's not necessarily having to fly around into tackles. He's actually there to pick up bits and pieces, break up the play in a, in a more general way, but be, be the first receiver and then start the play. He's, he was absolutely fantastic in that, in, in a high-pressure, high-intensity game. And that, that actually gave me pause for thought that, really, you know, do you, do you need to replace Brown with a traditional six hard-tackling kind of player or could you actually have a player like McGregor who's in there Not, and it's providing he's got a sufficient screen behind him and he's not expected to do the sort of first contact defensively mm-hmm. and he's there to pick up the seconds and then build the play that's exactly what he did uh, really well uh, last night so I think there's some food for thought there
1: I think so <clears throat> for me I'm far more simplistic. I love the fact that you can bring the the facts to the table if you like the figures to the table, and I'm, I'm I'm an observer when it comes to football, and I think that as an observer last night, you know, if Ange was watching what everybody else was watching, he's probably looking at McGregor and, and agreeing with exactly what you've said there. That's the area of the pitch that he's going to be effective on. Um, do you think he he's a shoo-in for the captaincy as well, Alan?
2: So I'm I'm not one of these that gets too excited about that. I, pre- I appreciate the symbolism of it. Um, um, I, I kind of would favour a sort of European model of having a a group of captains. So, you know, a lot of a lot of European dressing rooms have you know senior players, maybe five or six senior players, and then it's their role to effectively, you know, be, be almost like the prefects. <laughs> they're they're the sort of gateway to the manager and they're the ones that keep 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 good order but keep good morale. I think it's too much for one individual. You've got a squad of twenty five players. I think you need five or six senior individuals that effectively can can perform that role. Who actually symbolically wears the armband is, is to me is not as important as are there individuals in that dressing room who are, you know, inf- not enforcing, but ensuring, um, you know, stamping out anything early that looks like it could be, you know, uh, uh, disrupt the rhythm of the team or the morale of the team, etc. So, you know, you, you, you would, to me, you'd look at players like Julianne, uh, McGregor, even mm. Forrest, really, mm as players that should be you know, fulfilling that kind of role in the dressing room. Um, yeah. who, actually, who actually wears the where's the armband? I'm not, I'm not personally too fussed. I know, I, remember, I know it's symbolically important.
1: Yeah, it's symbolic to Celtic with our heritage mm-hmm. and our yeah. traditions and we love the history and that as yeah. well, Alan. But I remember having a similar conversation with Paul Elliott not too long ago, probably about a year ago now actually Mm. because it was only an audio podcast and he said something pretty similar, you know, when I was speaking about the captaincy at the time that he was at the club. I referred to a comment that the the late Billy McNeil made in one of his books where he said that he regrets not giving the captaincy to, to Paul Elliott and he felt that, you know, that might have taken a wee bit of the burden off Paul McStay who was carrying the team very much at that time and Elliott said... Paul, I I went about my business like I was a captain and the the armband, whether it was on my arm or not, didn't matter. I, I, you know, went about my business and conducted myself like a captain in the dressing room, on a training pitch and uh, during the games. And I think when you watch the performances, if you were to pick out a captain, uh, let's say League Cup final 1990, you would have picked out Paul Elliott, wouldn't you? Because of his performance and and his leadership ability. Um, Another thing I was really impressed about last night was, and I know that Stephen O'Donnell started his, his career at Celtic as the Declan Gallagher, as the Dandy Robertson, um, who are all part of that squad, was that following the game against the Czech Republic, Alan, he was the target. He was a guy everybody seemed to go for. Um, and you see it on social media, you've seen it in the press. He was getting criticised left, right and centre. Um, and Steve Clark came out uh, leading up to the England game and he defended his, his player. To the hilt, he defended his player. And what happened last night is Stephen O'Donnell went out and had the game of his life, probably, right? He was a standout, wasn't he? And I just thought to myself, man, management... You know, Old-fashioned man management at its very, very best, um, and I don't think we've had that over the last year and a half or so. I think Celtic have, have, have lacked a bit of man management um, where you can focus on a player and get the best out of them. Were you impressed with that last night? I know a lot of that onus is on the player himself to stand up to the plate, but a big part of that I think is down to the gaffer.
2: Not agreed, um, and I think O'Donnell came out after the game, and you know, we thanked his manager for standing by him. And yeah, absolutely great piece of man management. And he did, and, but he did his job, because you know, in, in a single game, and listen, we've seen this with Wales, in Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland teams that play in a very similar way, a similar similar, you know, footballing heritage and style. Uh, you overachieve in tournaments because players like O'Donnell uh, and similar uh, can actually step up. And, and 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 you know the, the better players in their squad can drag them up to that level, which you know frankly didn't happen against the Czech Republic. If you look at that game, you know which was it really came down. It was a fifty-fifty game, and um, their striker, who cost Roma forty million you know forty million quid um, a few years ago and scored thirteen goals for a leading Bundesliga club, scored two excellent goals. And his first goal, his header, was a fantastic mm-hmm. finish, by the way, but it kind of got forgotten in the. In the, in the drama with the second goal where a Scotland striker you know scored 13 goals for Queen's Park Rangers in the Championship and cost 2 million yeah. those differences are what you get at international level and if Scotland are going to do well in the tournament then you know Dykes has got to perform like like Shtick he's, he's a 40 million pound striker in the Bundesliga he's got at some point he's got to produce moments that that that, 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 that calibre of player would produce and that's the only way that a team like Scotland can, can perform but you saw I thought Wales was quite interesting yeah because Kiefer Moore, that they've got leading their line, mm. is, is is an excellent proxy for for Lyndon Dykes. Big lump of a striker, completely immobile, plays for a middling English Championship side. And we've seen from players that have gone up and down from Scotland England that the English Championship is not that much different to the sort of middle, to, to the top of the Scottish Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the sort of strike you know, level that you're talking about. But you put... You know Dan James of Man United, Gareth Bale of Real Madrid, and um, you know uh, Ramsey of Juventus behind Moore, and he suddenly becomes a really good player. <laughs> surprise, yeah. surprise! So this is what this is where you know I think Scotland against against Croatia are going to have to find a way to get you know more support up to Dykes in an attacking sense, get McGinn a bit closer, get McGregor a bit closer they get, the, get the, you know get they get this with we've got to give them the best chance of uh, of, of, of turning into steak
1: <laughs> you know when I look at that it's probably um, something that I've been going on about for a quite some time because I lament the fact that Celtic haven't been producing the Strikers, Alan, you know yeah. and um, we, we had a podcast some time ago where the question was raised, when was our last uh, great goal scorer that, that we produced yeah, that, you, that, yeah. that came through and we were talking about obviously Charlie Nick in the 1980s, then into the 90s we had, you know, people are going to say well you can't compare Jerry Craney but Crane came through the ranks. He scored goals, yeah. and you know he played in a really, really poor Celtic side. Uh, and then after that, it, it's really, really difficult to or chill yeah, maybe a little bit chill. for a while. Yeah, yeah. and a but few. A f- yeah, no, I, just,
2: I remember. Sorry, Paul, I remember this. This is yeah. a question that gets revisited, and it's something I looked at. You know, you know, me. I then went back and did all the when mm. did all the names. I have to dig that out now. Sorry, I haven't got it to hand. But yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. And actually, it was a shocking. It was a shockingly poor uh, return in terms of producing.
1: Yeah, it really was. And some people came in to say, well, Sean Maloney, but I don't think Maloney ever, although he did play um, up front as a youth, I don't think that's where we utilised them, you know, in in the first team. So although he did, you know, chip in with quite a few goals, as has James Forrest, he wasn't an out-and-out striker. Um, And I think that that really has been kind of like a feature of Scottish football, not just Celtic, but you you think back, and I, I did have last week the absolute honour of interviewing Brian McClare for a a future show that will be coming to your screens on our YouTube channel at some point and not too distant and uh, Brian's brilliant if, if you've ever watched any of the interviews that he gives. Very dry, uh, humour. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. we, we did a, a live gig, Alan, a wee while back. It was Kevin and I in McCool's in Glasgow. And uh, Brian McClare was unbelievable. And Kevin dug himself a wee hole and, and McClare wouldn't let him forget it. It was great. Watch <laughs> it. it's on YouTube. And I was having this discussion with him and I said, you know, I ran about the 1986 World Cup.
0: Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional
1: restrictions apply. See your local Boost mobile store for details. Where uh, we went with, uh, for me, a squad when you look back that was just, you know, in terms of the strength of that squad, it was unbelievable when you compare it to some of the squads we've had since. And I was talking to Chalky because at that point, at the World Cup in 86, he had not been capped by Scotland. He he was a youth internationalist. He'd done the under-18s, I think it was, and he'd played with Paul McStay and all that, um, whilst he was with Motherwell. Uh, Brian McLear, that is. But the World Cup squad, when you look at it, Charlie Nicholas, who was at Arsenal by that stage, Stevie Archibald, Barcelona. Um, McLear hadn't yet made his debut for Scotland. He was to make it later on in 86. He was banging the goals in for for Celtic McCoyst didn't make the cut but he obviously was very very prolific with Rangers Frank McIverney who was one of the top goal scorers in English football with West Ham you've then got Morris Johnston who was coming into his own at Celtic as well Kenny Dalglish, who was left behind because he fell out with Fergie and then you had other strikers like David Speedy Graham Sharp guys who were playing at a good good level down south yeah. a whole host over half a dozen strikers back then and then I think it's the the part of the squad, and it's a part of the Scotland team that, as you say, when you're looking for a wee bit of that stardust, someone just to uh, you know produce that wee bit of magic, we might be looking a wee bit further back. We might be looking at someone like John McGinn to pull that one out, or or maybe even a long range effort from Stuart Armstrong, or or maybe even from an unlikely source because it was almost O'Donnell last night. Um, you know when we're we're. Looking at the post mortem of this tournament, and let's hope it's not after the next game. Let's hope that we've got at least another two games. Do you think that'll be the the key issue? We didn't have that, you know, that stardust up front.
2: Possibly, I mean, you've, you've just made me absolutely depressed. Reading really, up all those names, they're <laughs> probably between them. You know, didn't a lot of those players didn't get very many caps, and uh, what, what you do with them today. Um, but what I will say is, if, just just remember the last time Scotland beat England at Wembley. Don Hutchinson scored the winner, and Billy Dodds was up front. So there's, there's always there's always hope. So I'd, 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 so whilst I, I you know. I don't know. It's probably a thesis. Uh, it's probably a thesis to be written on why we're not producing anything like those players today as a nation. Um, can Scotland win a game at the, the Euros without having a player of that calibre up front? Some answer is yes. I mean, modern football is very different now. The, tar- the, the, the player up front, especially Dykes, is, is is there to do many facets of of a job, not just not just score goals. You've got two wide wide positions, you often have a 10 and even the breaking midfielders. So you' know, players like McGregor, your know, Armstrong, Christie, McGinn, you know, these are all capable of scoring uh, scoring goals. Uh, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't worry that it isn't Dykes that's scoring. And Che Adams, Che Adams is a, yeah. you know, I think it looks. Uh, I'm still not quite sure what he is, but my goodness, he works hard. <laughs> Crikey,
1: you know, he was impressive and, uh, again. Yeah.
2: What 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 really impressed me was the space he found in the sort of half space, the ten space, I guess I would call it, uh, just just in um, in front of the defence. I I don't know where Rice and uh, Phillips were, but the number of times that he got the ball. Uh, on the turn uh, and was able to then go forward was uh, was impressive in terms of his movement. So you know I think he's good for a, a goal as well. So I think I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't worry that Dykes isn't isn't the best. I think he does a job and he, and mm. he disrupts the defence and he occupies people. Um, but you do. But I think against Croatia, who who you know Croatia is going to be uh, is one of those teams that I think will suit Scotland in that they're, they're not they've not got an abundance of pace. They're not going to be running past. I know Perisic is still is still pretty nifty, but in general they're not going to be running past you. Um, they're quite a ponderous team. They're a team that is, you know. Um, because of the size of the nation, you know, Kres have had some absolutely fantastic players over the years and, and they had a good generation that got to the World Cup final, obviously. But, you know, Rakitic is gone, Mandzukic is gone, Modric is 35, you know, um, Perisic is, is, is in his 30s now. The defence is a, bit, a little bit creaky. So, you know, we should, we, we should, if we give it a go, I think, and be a little, we need to be a little bit playable, a little bit 10 yards further up the pitch and get those players that I mentioned in the midfield nearer the goal, then I think we've got a, you know, a decent chance.
1: Yeah, well, here's hoping. And uh, we did mention that Ange Postecoglou not only is in the country, he was at the game last night with Dominic Mackay. Oh, you wouldn't know it. If there weren't
2: photographs on social media, you wouldn't know it from Celtic, would you? I mean, they've not said a word about, you know, when he's officially in the building, I mean... It's just, it's just, you know, come, come work with us here. You
1: know? Aye, please. <laughs> yep. I, I've got to, uh, I've yet to watch it, but I think there's a, a Celtic View podcast with Paul Cuddihy uh, that might have dropped yesterday with Ange Postacoglu. But as you right. say, you're not sure by listening to that, if it's a dialing from any part of the world, who knows? Um, but let's have a wee chat about um, hmm. The Arrival. Let's talk about, we're, we're entering the age of Ange to steal the the great age. title from that wee documentary that's online. Um (laughs) It could well be the age of (laughs) angst. Uh, Or are we departing the age of angst? Let's hope so, Alan. Let's try and paint a positive on that one. And, you know, we're we're entering a wee bit of the unknown. And I think that sometimes the fear factor is why people um, start to, you know... You know, throw things and say, "Well, you're being negative." Well, I guess that it is the fear of the unknown. We're entering um, an era with Ange Postacoglu and what I'm hoping to get from yourself is let's have a look at, you know, what what are going to be the, the strengths and weaknesses of Ange? Um, which players are going to come to the fore? I mean, did we see one last night who's going to return to the form that we we knew and loved them for? Maybe under Brendan Rogers with with Callum McGregor um, and. One of the things we tried to do is we spoke to um, Jared from Celts Down Under to give us the Australian kind of aspect of that. Uh, and then we got a perspective from Japanese football and we spoke to Dan from the Japan Times. But we we um, have spoken to yourself, Alan, over uh, the last couple of years, Celtic by numbers. Um, you're now involved with the Huddle breakdown. Tell us your thoughts, your fears, and what you're looking forward to with Ange coming in. Yeah,
2: so... Uh- I'll say first up that you know I think what Celtic are getting are a very is a very experienced manager, right? So, putting aside all the noise and the issues around nationality and where he's coached, this is a very experienced, not just a manager, but actually someone who seems to be a leader in in any any sort of club that he. He joins, and I meet one of my leader. I mean, invests not just in the the running of the team on the part, but actually in the co culture of the organisation. So, and I don't actually have any fears in terms of the man's ability to to organise a football team. I think he's proven himself to, in in different environments, under different circumstances, under different duress, whether it be um, you know language, country, the state of the club that he's he's taken over, expectations, wherever it's been. He's actually he produces winning winning sides, um, so I don't, I don't have any fears. What I fear is if you think about the whole context of how he was is how he was hired. Mm. What or, what organization goes from thinking that the answer is Roy Keane to Eddie Howe to Postacoglu? What what thinking is it that was driving the fact? Now Celtic may land on an absolute. You know, genius. By by, but but I fear it's if we do, it's by luck, not through um, having a thought out strategic approach that landed at Postecoglou because he was the answer to the questions that Celtic posed in terms of how do we move the club forward. Now, can Postecoglou move the club forward? Yes, he can. Have I got any confidence that it will be given the backing and the structure and the uh, organisation that goes on behind that? to optimise and and give him every chance to succeed, I don't have that confidence. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any fear about him individually. The guy improves football teams. If you look at Yokohama, uh, Marinos, every year that he's been there, their expected goals has gone up. Their expected goals conceded has remained about the same, and that will come to the tactical element in a bit, but his expected goals have gone up. He's improved every single team that he's taken on. You know, that Australia team that he took to the World Cup um, was, was was a bit where like Croatia are now they've got uh, you know the horrible phrase the overused phrase of golden generation of players but you know the the, the age of Keul and Viduca, you know and Bresciano and all those people you know Australia were a decent international football team and all those players uh, were, were you know coming to the end of their time and he, he ruthlessly got rid of them and he scoured he scoured the planet I know. So this is a guy who, you know, hard work and our work ethic and um, identification of players, I think, is, 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 is something that he's proven that he can do. Now, he's also come from a, um, a background at the Citigroup under Yokohama Marinos, where there's a, there's, a, there's a large infrastructure of data scouting network to support him as a manager. Mm-hmm. And he'll be used to that. And he clearly um, uses that. And I'm hoping that Celtic will support him in that regard. Um, a very, a very telling comment he made uh, in an interview that I saw with him because, like a lot of people, I've been immersing myself in interviews and articles and all this sort of thing. Was you know after a particularly bad defeat, you know he was asking you what did, what did you say in the dressing room and he, he didn't. He said, I don't say anything because I go back, I watch the game, I reflect, I think about the performance, not the result, mm-hmm. and I think what was it? What was it I asked the players to do? What did they actually do? And if they did what I asked them to do, and we ended up losing the game. I'm, you know that, that that's okay. That's okay from the performance. So it's all about performance. Now I love that. That to me is intellectually the way my brain works. That was the right way to approach it. But it, it may it may lead to some short term uh, and, and the occasional uh, you know uh, disappointment. I suppose. But as I say, long story short, the risks to me are all are all external to him uh, individually. I think he's a incredibly experienced. Mm. And, and, and Luke's, Luke's an incredibly interesting uh, and thoughtful and uh, intelligent guy.
1: You know, you, you touched on a point there that I, I guess is one of my biggest concerns <laughs> is that as far as we are aware and from the information that we have, Celtic were obviously um, speaking to a number of candidates for this job. But my biggest concern is that what we've got, and I don't just mean the individual, but I mean the whole structure of the appointment is different from the structure of the appointment that Eddie Howe was going to be, because obviously the club were at pains to stress that Eddie Howe was bringing his entire team, including a director of football. And I mean, they stressed that on two occasions when the announcement was made that he wasn't coming to Celtic. All of a sudden, we've got something completely different. And I think that when... They were interested in Roy Keane, and they interviewed Roy Keane, and they interviewed Nicky Butt. They were going for a different, you know, a different approach again, Alan, because I think that approach was very much like you know Roy Keane was going to be the figure, the figurehead of that partnership, but a lot of the the groundwork and the, the, at the coalface face was going to be Nicky Butt, and obviously he has gathered that that um, experience whilst at Manchester United over a number of years as a coach, and then all of a sudden, and of course there was the the you know. The um, the Harkin and Maresca uh, Team That had been mooted as well Maresca <laughs> left for Parma During our negotiations with Eddie Howe and then all of a sudden Ange Postacoglu and I think that was my biggest concern And, and you've touched on it there But when you were talking
0: This week on the Marketers Report Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery Weighs in on building trust
1: The one name that keeps coming into my head in relation to the approach, and in particular the post-match approach, is Vim Jansen. And I've had the pleasure, and again it's not name-dropping, to talking about Vim Jansen to a number of the players that played underneath him. And a lot of those players were surprised that after a game, particularly after a defeat or a poor performance, Vim Jansen was not interested in having a post-mortem in the dressing room. And he would speak about it at the first day of training on Monday. So when you're talking about that, that is putting me in mind of Vim Janssen. Vim Janssen, there was a bedding in period, but it wasn't a full season. It was a ropey couple of weeks. Um, And I think that when you look at the entire season in detail, and Jim Orr has done so because he studied that season in depth when he was working on his Bratback play, bend it like Bratback. You look at a, a moment where Tosh McKinley... And Henrik Larsson eventually actually come to blows at Barrafield, and having spoken to Tosh about that, and Tosh to this day says it really did affect his Celtic career that moment where he's he's you know he's broken Henrik Larsson's nose on the training pitch. He says that that was the um, you know the culmination of a lot of frustrations and tensions within the dressing room since Wim Janssen came in and since we had a whole new group of players who, who had come to the club. He says there were cliques, had gathered. There was the Scottish lads, and then there was the Scandinavian lads, and then there was a coming together where Tosh has stuck the head in Henrik. But apparently, from what I understand, after that, that cleared the air. That cleared the air, and from there, when you look at it, you know, we had a game against Rangers coming up. It was a famous one nothing game with... Um, Richard Goff claiming that he was raising the roof, but he was actually raising 10, 10 fingers uh, to um, everybody who was at the game. And but we went on, and as you say, you know, everybody knows what happened that season. Is it going to be a similar? Is it going to be a, a kind of similar situation? I, I've read a lot about how Ange takes a well in season one, and it's you know it's the sophomore season that you really see him stamp his authority on it. Are we ready as Celtic fans to give him that time?
2: Yeah, no, I, and, and this is something which he himself picked up on in a in a kind of wide ranging interview that probably a lot of people have seen now. Where you know he says, "Look, you know, it's going to take time," and he mentions it can take months to to get his ideas across. But I, I, you know, if you look at him tactically and what is it that he's trying to do, the, I think the reason for that is more about the, the 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 style of play that he wants to play. I don't think he's going to be. He's going to be hung up on a particular formation. If you look at his Marino's team, uh, it varies depending on the game situation, and it can vary match to match. Although it, it looks like a four-two-three-one basic shape, I wouldn't. I'm not going to suggest he comes in and plays a four-two-three-one if he doesn't feel that he's got the players to do that. I think the approach will be the, the approach, and I think that's what that's what he brings. He brings an approach to play which is around, the, you know, the, the attacking intensity the pressing intensity from the front um, and playing a, a very high line defensively and being quite compact, uh, having wingers drop in, mm. uh, to, to, and, but actually playing a very similar way to what the Rangers played. Uh, over the last two seasons, that four-three-three in in in, de- in defence is very compact and very narrow and quite high. Um, and the, you know, you essentially, you, you use the touchline as a marker, right? You, yeah. You, if you squeeze the space, you, you can actually tuck in quite far and still and still restrict space. So, I think we're going to see quite some similarities there, but but a bit in that sense. But I think the important thing will be how long it takes to get those ideas over in terms of how the team plays. That will be what takes the time now. The, the, the thing that takes the time um, from a coaching perspective is, is always attacking patterns, right? So Postacoglu is, is a coach who focuses a great deal on attack. There's a there's a, there's a, a quote which got me a bit worried uh, from from a, a, an analysis site that was looking at Marino's games, saying each and every time team Marino's have faced try to exploit the high line uh, by overloading it. Uh, but, Post- but Postacoglu does not seem bothered in rectifying it, so well, I, I think, think there's going to be some frustrations in that sense. In that we're going to see perhaps teams, um, you know, exploiting S- Celtic uh, in in a similar way. Um, whether that means with a high line and a narrow, it means overloading the wide areas, and then you suddenly got players breaking in behind. Yeah, you know. And, and but what I would say is, if you look at th- if you look at his experience in Japan. And there's been a lot of discussion about the relative merits of the Japanese league versus the SPFL. Well, if you look at it objectively, and you look at uh, one of these uh, Elo-type rating sites, there's, there's one, there's one football database, uh, one that uses very similar ranking system to what Elo does. Mm-hmm. Elo is a very well-established ranking um, framework for ranking sports teams that came out of America, and it's been. And you can look at Elo rankings for for all, for all football teams as well. Soccer. Database. If you rank um, the Japanese teams in the in the uh, in the in the J League and the Scottish uh, SPFL, mm-hmm. is every single team in that J League will rank higher than every single SPFL team apart from the top two? Okay, right. so 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 he's going to be playing teams that are inferior, right, to the teams he's used to coming up against in the mm-hmm. J League. Mm-hmm. So so in terms of how long will it take? You know, how many times? Do, how many times against Ross County, Saint Mirren, those kind of caliber of sides. You know, he's he's you know. there's a famous game last... Well, famous. I say famous. It wasn't famous. It was famous in the sense of uh, it, it pinpointed some of the weaknesses of how Lennon set up his team. There's was a game against Dundee United at home. And I think Celtic won it in the end, maybe 1-0. But the point was that Dundee United, who were actually a reasonably well-managed team, uh, exploited Celtic's weaknesses with Laxalt bombing on, Duffy, Brown being unable to cover... Time and time again, and they miss chances to chance, mm-hmm. and this is what will happen. But the, the chances are that in the SPFL, well, not, a not only will Celtic be better organised than they were under Lennon, and you won't get these areas of weakness like we got down the left side, where you've got you've got Duffy who's positionally ill-disciplined and used to playing in a deep a deep lying defence with lots of cover. You've got Brown who's completely immobile, and you've got Laxalt who's bombing up here, there, and everywhere, um, and, and suddenly you've got a massive amount of space. I think Celtic will be better organized than that because Posticoglu is a better coach. Yeah. But also, the risk is reduced in that for for you know eighty percent of the games that Celtic are going to play in the SPFL, they're not going to have players good enough to exploit those weaknesses that Celtic are going to have as Posticoglu beds in his mm-hmm. thoughts, his thinking. So I would have massive fears about Europe, obviously, but yeah. I, 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 I would th- I would like to think that because of what he's the standard of football he's used to. Coaching uh, environment that he he would be able to bed in the SPL FBL reasonably quickly.
1: You know, I do have concerns. Uh, obviously, we've seen the, the draw during the week there, Alan. I've got concerns for the first game uh, against Mitchell and because simply because of the um, you know the turn rate, you know the the ins and outs at Celtic Park at the moment is furious, you know, that, that door will be spinning and I look at the lack of worth that we had all season and we at the moment haven't strengthened in these areas. I look at the wafer-thin defensive performances last season and we're probably going to be weaker uh, on account of what Chris Iyer has said about his future and these are my biggest concerns and of course you've then got the goalkeeper situation that was a concern all season and then the striker scenario where we've gone I think from four strikers to, to two on the books at the moment, Although there's a question mark around Lee Griffiths and whether or not Ange wants to to make that decision himself, when when you're looking then at the width, you know if that if that is a feature of maybe some of the uh, the teams and the shapes that Ange has had previously, I look at the right hand side. James a. Forrest has come back in, and we missed him dreadfully last season. We really did. Uh, behind him, you've got. Marion Sved and Karamoko Dembele who between them haven't had a lot of football for Celtic I would have loved Dembele to, to get a wee bit more game time last season and then we'd probably be looking at him as a sure fire second choice in that position this time round he might still be Due to the you know, the nature of the the makeup of that squad, but on the left hand side, I've got massive massive doubts that we've got enough bodies over there. Mikey Johnson, of course, started coming back into the team, Alan. But you know, I don't think uh, for five million pound we're going to take the option on El, El Yunuse. As much as I like certain aspects of his play, Alan, I-, I don't think that's the kind of route we're going to go down. Um, and then similarly at the back, centre half. Who's going to you know be center half against Michelin? Is it going to be Welsh and Beaton? Uh, do you share similar concerns on a personnel level for Ange coming in and what he's got to work with?
2: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it's it's uh, the squad mismanagement is just appalling and beyond belief, uh, and where we are, where we're absolutely threadbare, and, and key positions are clearly lacking. Uh, you know what, what? What can we expect from Postel Coglu? I, I mean, he's never really been in an environment where. He's had money to buy players in Japan. Mm. It tends to be a trading environment. Um, Obviously, Australia, salary cap. You're always working to 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 really jiggle around what you can fit in within your salary cap. And obviously, with Australia, you you pick what you get. But what 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 you've seen from Postacoglu is a is a you know a a very thorough approach to recruitment. And he will he will play. He will find players who not only. And will fit in um, in terms of the style of play he wants to to adopt that will fit in culturally into what he's trying to do with the team mm-hmm. and i think that's going to be um the, as important as uh uh you know if you, if you look at every if you look at every appointment that he's, he's, he's been he's had one of the first things he's done is get rid of players that would, seem, that would probably be viewed as the highest profile biggest earning names if you like i wouldn't be surprised if we sign a lot of players that we've never heard of yeah um, but, and I would be delighted by that, not because uh, not because of some hipster <laughs> thing, but although I'm sure I'll stick my hand up to that occasionally as well. It's more because um, you know someone's done some thorough research, mm-hmm. identified someone that can do the job is expected of them and he's got and, he's got, and he's, he's got the evidence and the scouting reports and the data behind it that will evidence that and they've been thorough, you know, thorough enough to, to know that this person will, will fit into the culture and into the way of, of working that he wants so I think that's what it's going to come down to because he's clearly no respecter of reputation no respecter of salary or past achievement and I think we should be pleased about that because that is true leadership That that is how you drive improvement and that's how you even culture one of the things I would be a little bit worried about would be the sort of dialer scenario where you've got a coach that comes in and you've got let's call it an, an RC set of senior players who think they know best or are suitably well remunerated that they feel that they can have a a big say in how the club should be run. Mm -hmm. Now, I look around the Celtic dressing room, I'm not sure we've got like a Mulgrew and a Commons and a, dare I say it, Scott Brown, who's going to be disruptive to a manager in that way. You know, to me, McGregor, Forrest, Julian look like consummate professionals. So, But even if, if, I think if he picked up on that, they'd be out the door, frankly, Mm -hmm. Um, you know as we, we touched on the players that, that we think are going to leave, uh, Ayer has, has been very open and honest, I think, and, and said that he wants to leave and, and good luck to the guy. Uh, I wish he would stay. Christie's got no interest in signing an extended contract, so we've got to assume he wants away. And obviously, Encham didn't want to be there last season, so I, d- I doubt that's changed. And Edward, obviously, is at the stage of his career, and, and he's such a talent, it, it only makes sense for him to be moving on at this stage. So I would imagine that Postacoglu will be... Um, encouraging the club to get rid of those players as quickly mm-hmm. as possible mm-hmm. and then be getting in players that actually want to buy in. So if you think about, you know, what have we got left and where who do, you, who do we think is actually going to benefit from Postacoglu being in there? So I, you know, I went through the team that we've got left and, you know, who, who's going to sort of, uh, I think, benefit from Postacoglu? I mean, it's it's probably a, a little bit lazy, but you'd think that Barca's. I mean, Postacoglu is going to be um sympathetic to the man's you know personal situation as being a Greek immigrant in a new country sort of struggling struggle to 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 really adapt and to join mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. But actually you know Barkas is the is the best passer of all the goalkeepers 88% passing um in terms of that. And, and you know he's he's a he's a mobile goalkeeper. He's you know he's light on his feet. He's not a big heavy man. You know, so you would think he may he may fit into Postacoglu's style in terms of having a goalkeeper play quite high yeah. and also be, be be starting passing moves. I think I think Bolengoli would would, would potentially get a, a bit of a, a chance under Postacoglu because again, Bolengoli is an athletic player who will get up and down the left side. Um, you know, he's he's strong he's strong running, but I think his lack of creativity ultimately will will, will perhaps limit at this time. But I think he'll get a chance. Mm -hmm. I think Welsh will get a chance. Welsh, you know, is relatively mobile. He's also, what improved over the season as he was in the team last season was his passing. And again, that starting moves from the back because what you're going to see under Postacoglu isn't a million miles away from how Rodgers wanted Celtic to play and how Rodgers got Celtic playing in his first season. Now, the intensity and the pressing dropped off massively in season two. But in that first season, Celtic, you know, uh, you know, Marino's average 63% possession celtic average 63% possession um you know rodgers was um about 700 odd passes a game from his team marino's are around 700 passes you know you you know rodgers was big on intensity from the front and that's exactly how um you know apostekov uh, wants to wants to go so there's going to be players in that squad this isn't going to be a this isn't going to be a huge you know step away from how the Played under Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the one of the differences will be that high line. So, with Welsh, you're going you're to need a bit of um, pace at the back in terms of recovery speed. I think Biton could get a chance. I'm not saying, again, I, I've been very vocal about not yeah. playing Biton at centre half, but again, just from, from his deep passing, there's nobody better in the club at progressing the ball from, from deep positions. Sorrow, sorrow has got to get a chance because I mean Sorrow's, one of Soro's sort of superpowers is his verti- he, he's always playing vertically he never plays horizontally he's always looking to go forward he's always either running with the ball passing the ball forward and he's actually got the he's got behind Christie um, he's the midfielder with the most ball regains in the final third uh, per 90 minutes so not only does he sit as a 6 he actually can press high and win the ball back in the final third I think McGregor will suit Postecoglou style because I think McGregor is just a very intelligent footballer, and frankly, he'll 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 will fit in with anything that you tell him to do because he's that kind of player. And obviously Rogic again. I mean, you know, Postecoglou knows Rogic. He picked him for he picked him for Australia. He's clearly going to be you know revitalised by having a manager who knows him and trusts him. There, Forrest again. Forrest is you know people don't talk about. Forrest's defensive contribution. But Forest, I, I, I can do a good job at, as a wing back. He gets up, up and back, up and back. And you know, obviously, he's, he's quick and direct. And then the last one that I think would benefit potentially would be a Jetty because yeah. a Jetty again is a, is actually quite an aggressive uh, player and in in, in in transition. Aggressive ag- Jetty gives. I, don't, I haven't got the start at the hand, but he gives away more fouls than you'd think. He's he's, he's absolutely prolific for giving fouls away. Um, but and also for again he's, he's, he tops the strikers for um winning the ball back in the final third in fact mm-hmm. of all the strikers he wins the ball back in the final third more than any of the others but also i think with the jetty what you'll see with um team is i mean one of the things i actually admire about the way that the rangers play is they don't just lump the ball into the box they they recycle it recycle it recycle it and they only put it in the box when it's optimal and they they think they've got a good chance of connecting or someone's made a good run and and that's what you'll see under Postacogli the ball will not be lumped into the box like Lennon get it in the box get it in the box get it to the middle and then take a shot it's going to be more patient than that and it's going to be let's wait for the right opportunity and you need a you need a player like a Yeti whose movement is really good in that penalty area and who's an excellent finisher you know it's very synonymous with um uh, the way that man city play under under guardiola patient 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 how many goals do man city score where the where the, the finisher is in the six yard box you know sterling sterling is an awful striker of the football his technique actually striking the football is really poor and he's now a, he's now a player that scores 20 plus goals a season yeah. because most of them are, are from six yards out Forrest forest will love this Forrest will love being on the end of these these sort of uh, back post runs, mm-hmm. a will love making runs across the, across the centre backs. So I think I think those players will, will benefit. And then you know the ones that I think will struggle uh, possibly uh, possibly Julian because you know he he, he clearly lacks pace and uh, mm-hmm. and, and for having a player like Julian playing high without an an ire, uh, beside him is going to be very risky. But then. Look at the way, I would say the best proxy, if, people, if Celtic fans want to think about how are team going to play, a, a, a good proxy in, in all of our minds at the moment would be uh, Italy, right? I'm not saying that Celtic are as good as Italy and I'm not saying that Postacoglu is a, a, a manager who's as talented as Mancini. I'm not saying that. I'm just using it as a proxy for the style and approach. The way that Italy play is very similar to the way that Postacoglu will have Celtic playing. And they have Chiellini, and Bonucci, who are both pretty slow uh, anchoring that defence. Now, they are great players. They're great defenders. And I suspect their their positioning and their know-how and their anticipation are top class. And Julien is a good defender. We don't talk about it enough, the extent to which Julien's presence last season was missed. He was, to me, the biggest single miss of the season.
1: It's going back to that game you mentioned earlier, Alan, isn't it? The Dundee United game. Where, yeah. he, where he's collided with the post, yeah.
2: Yes, that, that was the one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think other players that may struggle, uh, I think Taylor, just because I, I, I like Greg Taylor because he's got a fantastic attitude. I don't think he'll leave because I think Taylor has fantastic utility against the lower SPFL sides. His, his, his creativity is actually fantastic, <laughs> uh, you know, against against poor teams, against good teams. He, he simply doesn't have the pace or the power to, to impose himself. And in, in Postacoglu's system, getting up and down like that, could be beyond him, but I think he's got a great attitude, Taylor, and I'm sure he'll be around the squad. Turnbull will be an interesting one. Turnbull's not your not your sort of all-action... Um, I mean, Christie, it's a shame Christie's leaving, because Christie would be perfect for a Postacoglu team. Turnbull, obviously, he, he doesn't quite have that same pace, doesn't quite have that same aggression. Rogic may well be preferred in that 10 role. I don't see Turnbull being an 8 in Postacoglu system, so that's going to be an interesting one. And then finally, uh, Griffiths. Again, Griffiths He's not going to want a striker that drops deep and takes pings at pings and shots from thirty-five yards. Um, Griffiths didn't win the ball back in the final third at all in any game last season, not once. And if you compare that to a Yeti and mm-hmm. El Yunusi, El Yunusi is another Postacoglu player, player because he, he can play inverted. His, pre, his pressing is fantastic. His aggression, his closing down is fantastic. You'd actually be a really good signing under under uh, under Postacoglu. So th- 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 those were my thoughts in terms of who I think might do well and who may you know, who may struggle actually to ad- adapt
1: to, uh, to his to his ways. It's really useful, very useful. Couple of surprises in there, mm. Alan. Um, and again, you know, if Turnbull can become part of the team, fantastic. A wee bit of regret on the El Yunusi front because if he's going to be you know suited to the way that Ange Postecoglou plays i think he, he could be a revelation but it might be too late in the day for that but there's a lot of names there that you know i think that a lot of celtic fans have maybe written off but well, you're looking at the fact that they could form part of this jigsaw. positive. He, he won't, positive. Care, about that.
2: He won't <laughs> care about that, right? He will go into that dressing room and say, are you with me? This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Are you with me? And if he sees that they're with you on the training ground, he's going to give them a chance. Yeah. You know, he, 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 he went through you know dozens and dozens of players for Australia before settling on a team that actually won the Asian Cup. And then he qualified them for the next World Cup. And and, and, that, and that that's a really important uh, story as well because he walked away. He, he walked away from a team. He could have taken a team to another World Cup. Imagine being a manager at a World Cup. The exposure that that gives you, the kudos that gives you. He walked away from that because his his, his ambition, what he wanted to achieve with the team, was not matched by his bosses. And that is the biggest fear that I have because mm. if, if Celtic do not support him, and I, and I don't mean I don't mean. By spending millions and millions of pounds on players, I mean by having the right staff, the right type of player and the right, you know, support structures in the background in terms of conditioning, you know, physical fitness, recovery, all of those things. If they're not how he wants them and not everyone's on the same page, he will walk away.
1: Mm, that is a, a concern. Two things that you've said and we'll, we'll cover them just before we finish off. I remember Stephen Welsh coming into the side and I spoke to uh, a very highly regarded coach here in the Lothians who had seen a lot of him as a youth player and he said just wait till he starts passing the ball and the what he did say was his long range passing was excellent. Now I've not seen the figures Alan, you touched on it a bit yourself. How has he progressed in terms of his distribution?
2: Yeah, I'm just sorry. I'm I'm now looking at spreadsheets (laughs) (laughs) anticipating that question. So, yeah, I mean, 68, just over 68 passes per 90 minutes. I mean, you're really actually looking. He completed more passes than any other player. I didn't realise that. I didn't know that. I've surprised myself even more than Biton. In terms of Mm -hmm. passing per 90 minutes, he completed more than any other player. Now, I think there's a little bit of teams saw him... Get into the into the side. They saw that perhaps physically he's not the biggest, um, and they actually thought, "Oh, we'll let this kid have the ball because he's just a kid," and that actually, uh, you know, wasn't a good idea because he did mature into being. So there's a little bit of "we'll let him have the ball," and therefore there's sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. But actually, he completed more passes per ninety minute than any any other player. If you look at his packing passes, so these are passes that are synonymous with um, taking players out of the game. He's mm-hmm. on eleven packing passes a game. Um, only Callum McGregor uh, has got uh, more uh, more passes, um, packing passes per 90 minutes. Uh, so that, that gives you some indication that not, not only is he an accurate passer of the ball, as as, you, as, you, as your coach said, his, his long passing, is, his, pack, his passing through the lines mm. uh, actually developed massively as the season went on. So that, that aspect of it, to me, and the fact that, yeah, I know he's not very big, but in all honesty, if you've got a team that's that's playing a really high line, you're going to have less concern about heading balls away on your 18-yard box and more concern about mobility uh, and and being able to defend on the turn sometimes, which Welsh, you know, he's not massively quick, but, you know, he's, he's relatively relatively nimble compared to Julienne especially. So I think you'll get a chance, definitely.
1: Yeah, it's a, a conversation I have regularly with Colin Watt um, because I do think that he's done enough, to be in and about that uh, first team as, as a regular, uh, I still think we need to strengthen, obviously, in that area. So that that's it's very positive to hear that. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, you, you mentioned a few players, in Cham, Christie, Ayer, Eruard. One of the biggest uh, issues I have with those four players leaving is the asset value and how that's dropped in the last 12 months, Alan. I mean, we're talking tens of millions, potentially, aren't we?
2: Yeah, and oh, the, 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 the strategy whereby of appeasement or whatever it was, or whether it was, we don't know, right? I mean, listen, the football market changed massively during COVID. So your ability to even sell a player from March onwards last year, and and in terms of football clubs planning their financials for a year, even the bigger clubs, uh, changed massively. So even if, you know, Celtic may have taken the view, and I'm being charitable here, that actually they would have been open to Eduard selling, Telling Edouard, but actually, because of the conditions in the market, no one was willing to or able to pay. Mm. able to pay the price that Celtic wanted, but but you know, listen, we've been burnt with this before. We saw what happened with Boyata. We saw what happened with Dembele. What the alarm bells for me on uh, at any level within any organisation is: are you not learning from your mistakes? And if you're not learning from your mistakes, I'm sorry, that's stupidity, right? Yeah. It's just incompetence. So I, I completely with you on that. You know, to me, I would rather. That we 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 got rid of all the players that wanted to leave last summer, even even at risk, you know, and brought in hungrier players that wanted to be there and wanted to play because, you know, football is a game of margins, and one of the things I've learned by, you know, gathering all these stats is the difference between, you know, a Van Dyke, and um, you know a Stephen Henry, is, is a Jack Henry, sorry, Stephen Henry, a Jack Henry is 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 obviously massive to our eyes. But in, in actual statistical measures of different defensive actions and what have you, it's a relatively small percent. It, it, it really is. It's it's not as big as you'd like to think. And if you've got a players who mentally are not fully committed to the cause for whatever reason, um, you know, Ed, Edouard can be as effective as as a as a Jack Aitchison if he's not if his head's not in the right place. Because you know, I'm sorry, but ability isn't isn't commensurate with wage packet. The, the, the margins are much much smaller than that, so you've got to have people. But in, and, and I think Postacoglu is a guy who not only is he a football manager, he's a, he's a manager in the widest sense and a leader. He's a leader of people and he understands people. And so I think he he's invested a lot of his time in education and understanding people and organisations and culture, and he and he lectures on this occasionally. And, and and I think he fundamentally understands that if you've got people in your team that are not pulling. With you, it doesn't matter that they're on a hundred grand and yeah. scored thirty goals last season. They're actually you're actually better putting in some cases putting in the twenty year old who's mm-hmm. going to run about all day um, because actually you you might get just as much. <laughs> so so I think if Celtic I, I I haven't grasped that by now, then then we are we are beyond
1: hope. I think that that is very interesting. As as every episode with Alan Morrison on a Celtic state of mind. Alan, tell us where we can find your your site, and also the website, uh, sorry, the podcast, rather, that you contribute to regularly?
2: Yeah, so um, Celtic by Numbers, um, I'm not terribly prolific on the article writing at the moment, but you know, I'm hoping that as, as my situation changes, that will change over, over the next year or so. Um, but Celtic by Numbers on Twitter, um the huddle breakdown i do with enda call and Duco james that many people will know from twitter as well we're all we're all little tarts we'll we'll appear for anyone that asks us so we're not we're not precious <laughs> <laughs> if you want someone to drone on about numbers we're all we're all are always open to a good chat so we're not we're not we're not precious about that but yeah huddle breakdown we try and knock out one a week uh in terms of uh you know looking at the previous game and looking ahead to the next game and, and some of the performance numbers that sit sit underneath that and uh, hopefully it's people find it entertaining
1: I find it fascinating, Alan. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on this impromptu Saturday bulletin. Uh, I look I look forward to having you back on again sometime, Alan. Thank you very much for joining me on a Celtic state of mind.